Good morning. I'm Dinuka. Uh, today we are reading from Isaiah chapter 53 verses 1 to 3 and Luke chapter 4 verses 16 to 44. Isaiah chapter 53 verses 1 to 3. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord had been reve revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him low esteem. Chap Luke chapter 4 verses 16 to 44. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the ear of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone, the synagogue, were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself and you will tell me. Do hear in your town what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that, the, that there, there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow of Sephirath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet no one, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee. And on the Sabbath, he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impaired spirit. He cried out the top of his voice, Go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of the God. Be quiet, 
Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What words these are? With authority and power he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogue of Judea. Danica. Thank you. One of my kids has got work experience coming up this year, and his school has said to him, you know, try and organize your own work experience week, which is actually quite hard to do. Because, first of all, you've got to figure out what you actually want to do for work experience, which is hard enough. But then there's, there's a whole heap of jobs where it just doesn't work to have a work experience kid hanging around for the week. So with medical kind of stuff, there's privacy issues, and then there's a whole heap of kind of safety issues in all these other kind of jobs. You know, with the police and the fire brigade, they're hardly going to send the work experience kid into the burning building or anything like that. And so, so your options are, are pretty limited. And even with the jobs that that do allow you to be there, you still don't always get a good idea of what the job is really like. I remember having work experience kids hanging around for the week when I was a pharmacist. And what do you think that they thought pharmacy was all about at the end of that week? You know, what is the essence of pharmacy in a work experience kid's mind? Sticking stickers, right? No matter how, much, how many times you try to tell them, look, there's a lot going on in my mind that you just can't see, at the end of that week, they think as long as you've passed reception and you can stick stickers neatly, you can be a pharmacist. Now, my own work experience back in 1995 was with a country vet. Now, I don't think um, workplace safety or even animal rights existed back then because I was involved in everything that week. I helped with surgery on cats and dogs, literally. I helped with the x-ray machine. The vet was even doing some minor repairs on it himself. I helped pull apart a cow for an autopsy. I helped rescue a baby possum. I even cut up a calf that had died during labor while it was still half stuck in its mother. 
It was one of the most memorable, fun weeks of my life. (laughs) And I felt like at the end of that week, I really did get something of the essence of what it meant to be a country vet. Well, today, in Luke's account of Jesus' life, he shows us the essence of Jesus' mission. Luke, here, he gives us a, a typical week in the ministry of Jesus. And so it's kind of like we're on work experience with Jesus for this week in Luke. And at the end of this week, if we're paying attention, we should have a pretty good idea what Jesus' mission is all about. So we're on work experience with Jesus, right? And where do you show up on day one? Where does mum drop you with your packed lunch and your water bottle? Well, we see in Luke chapter 4 verse 15 that Jesus is teaching in synagogues. And so here's where day one begins for us. Look at Look at verse 16. See if I can get this to work. Here we go. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. Now, in the synagogue, right, you could volunteer to to do the reading. And then a few people could volunteer to kind of speak to that reading that had been made. And so Jesus often did this. He often taught this way. And Luke puts what happened here in Nazareth, he he puts that first because it it captures the essence of what Jesus' mission is all about. So let's let's have a look at how this day unfolds. It's it's a completely normal day in the synagogue. I mean, it's, it's maybe a bit more exciting than usual because the locals have heard that one of their own is back in town. They've heard that Jesus has been causing a a bit of a, a splash in the nearby bigger town of Capernaum. And so there's this, this is slightly bigger turnout, slightly bit more buzz in the synagogue that day. Jesus, he's, he's just volunteered to do the reading. And so he's standing up the front, which you would do as a sign of respect for the scriptures. And he's just been handed the scroll of Isaiah, but he gets to choose which part he wants to read. And he must be going to choose something near the end because he's been winding away on that scroll for quite a while now. Now, remember, you're, you're a work experience kid, right? So you're standing there awkwardly, not quite knowing what to do. And you're looking around at the locals and you can tell all the locals are looking at Jesus trying to size him up. Now, did you know that in Hebrew, the name Jesus is actually Joshua? And, you know, just like Joshua is, is a pretty common name these days, it was, it was actually a very common name back then as well. So to look at Jesus up there, to hear his name, there's nothing particularly interesting or special that you'd noticed about him. And as you stand up, up at the back of the synagogue and, and listen in to some of the quiet conversations, you hear things like this. You know, someone says, I remember this kid now, Josh. I didn't really know him, but I knew his father, Joe. And then the other guy says, oh yeah, Joe, he was a builder. Typical tradie, hey, you know, take forever to actually come around and look at the job and give you a quote. Then the other guy says, oh yeah, but once he started, he always did a good job. And then the other guy says, he died suddenly, didn't he? I remember it was pretty sad. And I was a bit shocked when his son, Josh, didn't step in and take over the business, but decided he was going to go to Capernaum and be some kind of preacher. And the other guy says, silly decision if you ask me, but tragedy makes some people make silly decisions. I guess we'll find out when he finally finds his place, if it was worth it, 
or if it was just an embarrassing mistake. And then Jesus finds his place, Isaiah 61, and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolls up the scroll while all the locals are just looking at him, waiting, waiting. And then finally he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now imagine if someone did that here today, right? Imagine if Josh got up here today, read a passage and said, just so you know, this part of the Bible is about me. And today it's happened. You're welcome. Now, if Josh, if Josh did that today, Josh wouldn't be reading the Bible next week, would he? Or anytime soon. Now, what Jesus is doing is either incredibly arrogant or it's incredibly exciting. It's incredibly arrogant if Jesus is just a regular bloke who's taken on this grand sense of self. But it's incredibly exciting if he really has been commissioned by God for this mission. Because Isaiah is all about the coming of God's kingdom and all the hopes of God's kingdom. Now, of course, we've we've already seen Luke 3, haven't we? We've seen the Spirit of the Lord descend on Jesus at his baptism and anoint him. We've seen Jesus tested by the devil at his weakest point and yet stand completely strong as he stood in the strength of God dependent on him. We've seen he doesn't fail the test. So we know this is not arrogance. This is Jesus explaining his mission. So what is his mission? Well, Luke is telling us here that Jesus' mission is to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus' mission is to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Look again at the the reading that Jesus chooses. You know, what has he been anointed to do? To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Notice that three out of those four things that Jesus says about his mission have got to do with proclamation. But this is a bit confusing, isn't it? Because is Jesus' mission all about announcing something, proclaiming something, or is it all about achieving something, doing something? Now, is Jesus' mission to announce good news to the poor, or is it to achieve good news for the poor? Is his mission to announce freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, or is his mission to, to achieve these things for them? Now, it might seem like we're splitting hairs, but it's kind of important. Because as we figure out Jesus' mission, well, we figure out what he's come to do for us, what it means for us. Is, that's what figuring out his mission tells us. And it also tells us how we get behind his mission. So if Jesus' mission is is to literally open blind eyes and release prisoners, to literally free people from poverty, well, that tells us a lot about what we should literally expect in our lives, doesn't it? And it also tells us a lot about what we should literally do with the mission of our own lives. 
But if the essence of Jesus' mission is to proclaim these things to me, it's a bit different. It's a bit confusing. And especially if I'm to understand these things not first and foremost physically, but spiritually, well, that does change what I expect from Jesus in my life. And it changes how I direct the mission of my own life. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, well, isn't it both? Isn't Jesus' mission to announce the good news and also to achieve it? And if that's what you're thinking, hold on to that thought. You're on to something and we'll, we'll return to these kind of ideas a little bit later on. But for now, let's see how Jesus' mission of proclamation is received in his hometown. Because without healing anyone, any blind people or setting any prisoners free, Jesus can say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so how do they feel about, how do they feel about Jesus' fulfillment? Well, to start with, they think, wow, Josh has learned a few things in the big smoke, didn't they? They're kind of impressed to start with. But they also think, but his mission kind of sucks. Because they don't really want to listen to one of their own preaching to them. They're not interested in what he has to say. They want to see what he can do. And Jesus, he can tell what they're thinking. And, And so he says in verse 23... Surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Now this is like, you know, you go and see the doctor and the doctor says to you, you really need this injection. And you say, "Uh uh-uh, no way you're sticking that poison into me. Stick it into your own arm first. I don't trust your kind. Prove it. And then maybe I'll consider getting it. Now that's what they're like. They say, do hear in your hometown, what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. We don't trust you. Prove it. Now, they, they know Jesus is someone significant. They, they've heard enough to know that. But despite what they know, they're never going to be on board with him unless he lives up to their expectations and their demands. So why doesn't Jesus just give them what they want? Why doesn't he just heal a few blind people for them like they want? Well, it's because the essence of Jesus' mission is not just healing some blind people. It's opening the eyes of blind people to see what God's kingdom is really about. The essence of Jesus' mission is to proclaim himself as the king who brings God's kingdom. You know, you could put it like this. The mission is the message. The message is the man. And the man is the king who brings God's kingdom. And that's the one thing these people in Nazareth just can't accept. The man. No matter what Jesus were to do, they can't accept that. And so he tells them that those who won't accept him won't know the acceptance of God, the favor of God. Instead, foreigners like the the poor widow of Sidon, they'll be the ones who are accepted by God because they'll be the ones who accept Jesus. And foreigners like the rich but desperate Naaman will be accepted because they accept Jesus. 
But those who can never accept Jesus can never be accepted by God. Now this doesn't go down too well. Look at, look at verse 28, how it goes down. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. Now remember, we're on work experience with Jesus, right? This is day one and mum's just turned up to um, pick us up and she says, so how's, how's it gone so far? And I don't know about you, but, but I'm kind of speechless at this point. It's like they're traumatised in this uh, work experience week. It, it's been a pretty full-on week so far. And just before we, we leave Nazareth behind, there's something important that we need to learn from the example of these people. This is what we need to learn. We can be very familiar with Jesus and yet end up opposing his mission. We can be very familiar with Jesus and yet end up opposing his mission. Now, For them in, in Nazareth... They couldn't see Jesus for who he is, really, who he really is, because they were too familiar with aspects of him. To, to accept that God's kingdom was, was all about him was just too hard, too much. And so unless Jesus let them dictate to, to, to him who he should be, they just weren't interested. In fact, they went so quickly from being mildly impressed to wanting to kill him. That makes me think of um, kids addicted to devices um, that have been in the media recently. Have you seen these kind of stories? Um, the parent takes away... I shouldn't laugh, really, but I can't help it a little bit. The parent takes away the device and, and suddenly the kid turns violent and out of control. Uh, it, it seems like a massive overreaction to most of us. But for the child, from, from their perspective, they see it as someone taking a, away what is essential to them. Now, I think there's a, a real danger for us here. We could be a, a bit like the people in Jesus' hometown. And if you're a, a teenager here today or in your early 20s, I think this is a particular danger for you over the next decade as, as you figure out faith for yourself. You've grown up hearing about Jesus. Some of you have gone to Christian schools as well and and you've encountered ideas about Jesus there too. But let's be honest, the Jesus that you might have encountered in places like that could well be a watered-down, less-than-impressive Jesus. He's nice enough, gentle enough, and kind, and sometimes helpful. But deep down, does he really command your heart, your soul, your passions, your hopes and dreams. See, the danger is you think you know him. He's just Jesus. He's just that guy you've heard about all your life. But then something in life comes along where Jesus doesn't play ball like you want him to. It could be something big, it could be something small. And the danger is we turn on him. Jesus doesn't give you what you want. Something you feel is essential. And the danger is we turn on him like a, a crazed kid who's just had the PlayStation switched off. And we think, what are you doing, Jesus? You're failing in your mission. You're not giving me what I want. 
who is Jesus to you? If Jesus is just that person that my parents have always told me about, who's there to make my life better somehow and to get me into heaven, then you've never encountered Jesus. I used to work with um, uni students and I remember there was this guy um, who came to uni. He'd always heard about Jesus growing up. He came to uni and he became obsessed with this girl. And I kept saying to him, she's not interested in you. It's time to let it go. But he kept saying, I prayed and I prayed with tears and God didn't answer me. And so you know what? He walked away from Jesus at that point because God wasn't some kind of cosmic love potion. God didn't give him what he wanted. Now, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I found it a bit creepy, to be honest. And yet, as I think about it, am I completely immune to this kind of thing? If I was seriously sick, or if one of my kids got terminal cancer, or my wife, if my job came crashing down around me, or my marriage hit the rocks, or church turned toxic somehow, or I lost my house, my money, would I look to Jesus and see his authority and his mission are all that really matters in the end? Or could I turn on him and demand that he give an answer for why he hasn't performed how I expected that he should? You know, the danger with me being too familiar with Jesus, with any of us being too familiar with Jesus, is that we can be inoculated against who he really is. You know, with a a vaccine, you often get a, a weaker version of the virus so that when you encounter the real thing, You're not overcome by it. It's just got no impact on you. If we've only ever encountered a weakened, watered-down Jesus, then when something happens in our life, we we go to uni and all the smart, cool people laugh at us. Or we start work and Jesus is holding us back. Or we fall in love with someone who doesn't want Jesus as a third wheel in the relationship and they push back. We could walk away because we were never struck to the core by the real Jesus. And we'll never come back because we had just enough Jesus to make sure that we're never struck by who he really is. Now, if you're a parent or a teacher in a Christian school today, what kind of Jesus are you presenting to the kids? One who has all authority over your life? King of of sheer power and deep compassion and love? Or a king who's nice enough and occasionally helpful, but happy to stand on the sidelines? If you've never been shaken to the core by Jesus, struck to the heart by his love and his character, driven to your knees by his authority, then when he doesn't do what you want, you're in danger of turning on him. Okay, so that's what we see in Nazareth, right? That's day one. On day two of our work experience, Jesus travels 30 kilometers to Capernaum. 
And here in Capernaum, Jesus gets a completely different kind of reception. When he teaches, people are, are amazed and actually receive him really well, accept him. And here he, he does do amazing things, not because they're demanded from him, but because they help back up his mission. Jesus' miracles, they're all about reinforcing what he's proclaiming. They're, they're not just proof, they are that, but, but they're more than that, they're tastes of what he's announcing. They're tastes of the, the kind of king he is and the kind of king that he, kingdom that he brings. Have a, have a look at what we see. He confronts an evil spirit and evilly, easily overcomes it. He uh, leaves the synagogue and heals Peter's mother-in-law in verse 29. His words are, are powerful. He's giving tastes of the kind of king, the kind of kingdom that he's on about. And news about him it spreads fast so that on the evening of our last day of work experience with Jesus, look at where things have got to in verse 40. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God. Now, it feels like things are really gaining momentum at this point. It feels like Jesus is carving out the kingdom of God person by person. And so we've sent a text message to mum. Sorry, mum, don't pick me up just yet. It's going to be a late night, but I really want to see how this all pans out. And so look at how the first week pans out. In verse 42, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving. Jesus, he finally manages to slip away after an all-nighter, a late night doing amazing things. The people are huge fans. They want him to stay and keep doing amazing things. But what does Jesus say? Verse 43, But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And this brings us to our last point. We can be huge fans of Jesus, huge fans of Jesus, and yet still end up missing his mission. You know, the people in Nazareth, they opposed Jesus and they opposed his mission. These people love Jesus and they love what he's doing. But even still, they're in danger of missing what his mission is about. Jesus sees his mission as being about proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Whereas they want his mission to be about bringing the benefits of the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't see himself building the kingdom of God as he heals one sickness after another, confronts one demon after another. Jesus walks away from these things to get on with his mission. His mission, he says, is to proclaim the kingdom. And his miracles are not building the kingdom. Like we said, they're not even just proof of the kingdom. They're a taste of the kingdom. Jesus' mission is to proclaim the kingdom come with him. And in his time, he'll... Ultimately, it will ultimately mean the literal removal of all evil, all sickness, every injustice, every sin. But right now, the the literal removal of all those things is, is not his mission. His mission 
is for people to accept him as their king. Jesus, before he, you know, there in Capernaum, leaves behind those sick people to get on with his greater mission. Now, just before we leave Capernaum, there's another lesson for us here too. Because it's easy to be a fan of Jesus, easy to be a fan of him, and yet still miss his mission. Apparently, um, Mahatma Gandhi said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Now, it's a great line for beating ourselves up with this one. You know, we hear Mahatma Gandhi's disappointment. Who wants to disappoint Mahatma Gandhi? And when we sort of feel like we really should work harder so that he'll like us. But guess what? Mahatma Gandhi. He didn't like our Jesus. He liked his version of our Jesus. He wanted Jesus to heal the sick in this life and change the structures and the injustices in this life, but that's it. A bit like the people of Nazareth, he wanted Jesus to know his place and to stay in it. He was a fan of aspects of Jesus, but he didn't like the real Jesus at all. Because the real Jesus' mission is to tell people they need him. They need to accept him as their king. They need him to make them acceptable to God. This is what we're going to see powerfully next week. There is only one way anyone can be a part of a world without sickness, without injustice, without evil. And that is to accept Jesus as the king who brings God's kingdom. There's no other way. Now, I reckon we can be fans of Jesus and yet miss his mission in two main ways these days. You know, there's a kind of social justice version of this that you might have heard of. You know, we can feel drawn to literally open the eyes of the blind now, literally set prisoners free now, literally release people from poverty now. And this is appealing to us because it's admirable, it's respectable. Nobody will think badly of us as Christians for doing this. And they are good things to do. But they aren't the heart of Jesus' mission. People turning to Jesus as their king is the heart of his mission. And the other way we can be a fan of Jesus and and yet miss his mission is a much more individualistic kind of version of this. We can miss the mission of Jesus because we're focused on the the benefits that he can give to my life right now. Jesus can give me my best life right now, my healing now, my self-improvement now, my best family life, my best romantic life, my happiness now. But this isn't the heart of Jesus' mission either. People turning to him as their king is the heart of his mission. We don't build God's kingdom as we change this world and remove evil. Neither do we build his kingdom as we live our best lives now. God's kingdom is built as we hear what Jesus proclaims and as we accept him as our king. And we join his mission as we join him in proclaiming that Jesus is the king that every single one of us needs. Let me pray for us.
Father, we thank you for the clarity and the courage of Jesus. That even in his hometown, he would declare that he is the king that all people need. His teachers, his doctors, his friends. Lord, help us to see that with such clarity in our own selves, in our own lives, that Jesus is the king we need. That without him, there is just no way that we can be a part of the kingdom that he brings. There's no way we can know your favor, your acceptance. Lord, give us that clarity to see, to be struck to our core, our heart, driven to our knees to see that Jesus is who he says he is and is who we need. And Lord, direct the mission of our lives to see that this is not just our need, this is every single person's need. We pray this in his name. Amen.